Hey everybody, I think we're live. Um, this is James Aaron. I'm a writer in Aon 14 along with MD Cooper. And in my neck of the woods, it is Christmas Eve. So I hope everybody's having a good um, holiday. I hope if you're working that um, people are being nice to you. Um, I've spent lots of time working through the holidays. So um, I appreciate having today off. Um, as far as I know, I think Proteus Bridge and Vesta Burning are um, on sale on Amazon for 99 cents. And so as part of that, I wanted to do a reading from the Proteus Bridge, which is something I've wanted to do for a while. Um, and also maybe talk a little bit about what led to um, some of the characters in this book and how this book came to be. So here's the, here's the book. Um, I have to say, this is one of my favorite covers, the way this came out. Um, Fuja Wong is a character. She's a hacker. Um, she wasn't a main character in the previous series, Sentience Wars Origins, but she becomes more prominent in, in this book, which kind of explores her background. And I felt like this, um, this photo, while there was some debate about the color of her hair, um, I felt it really, it really caught the um, kind of the spirit of the character. And I was pretty, pretty happy about that. Andrew DeBell did a really awesome job with it. Um, and then also, if you have the book or have the cover and you look pretty closely, um, within Proteus Bridge in the background is actually the sunny skies from uh, Sentience Wars Origins, which is um, the ship that the Sykes family um, travels in and is kind of like basically a fourth character um, in the book. It's got a you know big impact on their on their lives. So in putting this book together, I had written a novella for... Um, an anthology Michael did called Pew Pew, which was kind of like, you know, pew pew lasers and, um, you know, fun science fiction. And the stuff that I write is pretty serious. So I had to write something that was that was different, that was more fun, um, kind of goofy a little bit. And so it was it was a different it was a departure for me. Um, and so I wrote um, basically a novella that became kind of the, I don't know, second quarter of this book. Um, and then realized I wanted to flesh that out and do more with it. And so re-edited that. Um, and there was a character in that, um, that novella called Crash the Parrot, who's a little gray parrot. And if you're familiar with gray parrots, they, um, we really have not learned the extent of their intelligence. Um, they have uh, a high level of, of intelligence compared to humans, um, a high emotional intelligence, and they my understanding in the last research that I've looked at is that they right now are the only animal that separate of humans that are able to see themselves as, um, as individuals. Uh, they can look in a mirror and, and immediately recognize that they are, um, that they're a separate thing. I, I'm not using that terminology correctly, but um, what got me thinking about gray parrots as uh, potential characters was a Ted Chang story um, about gray parrots and kind of how, they were treated in laboratories and there's been some famous parrots that were parts of experiments and still are parts of experiments as we try to figure out, you know, more about them. And that idea kind of stuck in my mind. And so it was a very much a side character that there was a parrot on Krunya station um, that belonged to a gangster and he's saved um, by Ngoba Starl and they become friends. Um, and then he actually uh, crashed the parrot, becomes kind of a leader for um, these collection of ravens and other birds and things that um, populate the dead fountain at Knight Park on Krunya Station. 
And this kind of gets to some of the things that we've talked about in Aeon 14. And just when you end up with human settlements, we end up with pets and animals. And, you know, it's kind of, I have a hard time imagining a future space that's completely sterile. Um, you know, I, I think in reality, this, you know, the enterprise would probably, probably be full of kittens and dogs and other things that people had snuck on board, even if they were told they weren't supposed to. Because like when I deployed, um, when I moved to Germany in the army, like they were pretty specific about you can't take pets. And there were pets. There were a lot of pets um, that people managed to bring on board because, you know, humans love their pets. And so that's something that's always kind of, you know, fascinated me. Um, but then the idea of an uplifted or intelligent animal is really interesting to me, too. And I, I, I do believe that as we learn more about intelligence and animals, we're going to really change some of our ideas about consciousness and, you know, interactions with the world as we kind of adjust our, our, our center. You know, humans are the center of our knowledge, but there's plenty of other animals that experience the world um, in different ways. And there's a lot of things we can learn from that as well. Um, so Crash the Parrot was a character that I actually had came out of. Like there was a throwaway line I put in Lissa's dream where Kara wants to go see the birds at Night Park because she and Tim living on a spaceship don't get to see animals and they really wanted to see animals. And so then that kind of stuck with me that there are birds at Night Park. Who are those birds? What, what are they? Why are they there? Um, and then that kind of all of this led to, you know, Crash the Parrot. And then people really liked the idea of Crash the Parrot. And, um, and so I just built on that. And that's where the beginning of this came from. So um, some people don't like Crash the Parrot. Uh, I've gotten, you know, I've come to like him a lot. I've, you know, just got some reviews recently that strongly did not like Crash the Parrot. And I'm like, well, Crash isn't for you. That's cool. Um, so anyway, I wanted to read from the beginning of the book. And this is about Crash. Um, as we first meet him, um, before this takes place before the events in Lissa's dream. So this is a thousand years before, in fact, more than a thousand years before OutSystem and when Tannis comes into um, the picture. So this is uh, kind of a piece of the experiments that Scion um, Scientific and Enfield Scientific are conducting, which leads to a lot of the link technology, well, I'm sorry, the embedded AI technology that we have in later books. And Michael and I have spent a lot of time talking about how these things might have played into, um, you know, later stuff in the book. Like, I think like any biotechnology, you're going to have a broad spectrum, spectrum of uh, research that can lead to various things. So this is a piece of that. Okay, so part one, Crash at Scion. Number games. Stellar date, March 15th. 2945, adjusted years. Location, TMS, Hesperia, Nevada. Region, Terran Hegemony, Homon Transfer Point, 364, Intersoul. The beakless parrots were always funny. Crash the gray parrot felt sorry for them, really. They never made an effort to preen or shout for joy, burdened as they were with the boring white plumage. He sorted their trays of cubes and repeated their phrases, observing with pleasure as they smiled with surprise or gave an overly serious nod throughout his display. They talked to him all the time, which made him wonder why they seemed to believe he didn't understand. He would have known their names if they had ever introduced themselves. Now Crash, the female one with curly black hair, said, Today I'm going to say phrases, and I want you to repeat them back to me. Repeat them back, he answered, bobbing his head. Yes, repeat them back. Why, why, he would ask, knowing they loved it when he asked questions. It's a test, 
to see how smart you are. Crash is very smart, he often told her. Crash is very smart. Crash is very pretty, too, too. That would earn him a smile. He had been born in their white place, and he understood more than they seemed to know, based on their questions anyway. He understood their language and could read most of their words, probably as competently as any of them. Like generations of gray parrots before him, he understood himself as a person or conscious being, with feelings and thoughts, experiencing a strange and interesting world. He remembered the various beakless parrots by the shape of their bodies and the color of their eyes. He loved to ask, why? A question that had amazed researchers since the first gray parrot asked it back in the 20th century. What the humans seemed obsessed with answering, however, when asked his question was how. They often discussed the differences between gray parrots and other birds, how they had developed advanced cognitive abilities that differed greatly from primates, and from some perspectives, offered a unique view on consciousness. Crash understood words like exit over the doors into the aviary where he lived with the other two parrots, Testa and Dumi. There were ravens in a nearby room beyond the exit door. Crash heard them several times a day, cawing at each other. Every day followed the same pattern. Beakless parrots and blue plumage came around first, filling the feed trays with seeds and dried insects, cleaning the floors and walls where droppings had splattered. After that, the researchers came in. There was the curly-haired woman, a woman with a pink, hairless head, a man with a pink, hairless head, and an older woman with gray hair, almost the same color as Crash's feathers. Doomy often hid in the highest branches of their tree when the researchers came in. Testa approached, depending on her mood, while Crash loved to squawk his joy call and flap his wings at them, shouting, Good morning, I love you! Good morning, I love you! At night, he called, Good night, I love you! Which often made the researchers smile, pleasing him. The beakless ones usually moved like they were carrying invisible weights. They sighed heavily, checked data tablets as they measured how much food the three parrots had eaten, how much water they consumed, and how anything unusual in the droppings noted by the cleaners. Crash loved hopping from branch to branch, trying to get them to look up at him. There were other words in the room that he could read, from lock times to biohazard, and a word that he hadn't seen anywhere else, but seemed important because it was written in different letters than all the others, Scion Laboratories. The days had been the same for as long as Crash could remember, following similar patterns from similar tests and rewards. He learned new words, learned what made the researchers angry or pleased, and found new ways to play with Doomy and Testa. On one morning, however, something different happened. When the beakless parrot who cleaned their white room opened the exit door, a black-winged raven shot through the opening. The raven flapped a frantic circuit of the room, weaving among the spread branches of the tree, and seemed to realize it was trapped. It cawed angrily and perched on the highest branch, not far from Doomy. The custodian had lost sight of the raven and stood near the tree trunk, squinting up into the branches. Doomy was clacking angrily, clearly agitated. Crash flew to a higher branch to get a better look, worried that Doomy might attack the other bird. While it was true the raven was smaller, he didn't believe that Doomy would win in a fight against a raven. 
Communication with the beakless parrots was different than communication among his fellow parrots. He simply knew what Duma and Testa were feeling or thinking, as opposed to interpreting what the beakless parrots wanted through their words. Words were abstractions for something else that wasn't often clear. He could read their emotions, sense, and body language much more clearly, despite their insistence on using sounds and symbols. As Crash approached the raven, he saw it was just as angry as Doomy, shifting from claw to claw and bobbing its head. Its long black beak opened and closed in a choking motion. The raven's black eye rolled, seemed to fix on Crash as she hopped to a nearer branch and then shifted elsewhere, like it had little control over itself. It was only when he was on the same high branch that Crash saw the silver thread dangling from the back of the raven's head. The rough feathers were shiny with blood, and the silver thing swung around as the raven moved. It wasn't a worm or a snake biting the back of the raven's head. It was something that went inside its skull. The silver thread was something the researchers had made. Crash understood that immediately. Making cooing noises, Crash lowered his head and spread his wings slightly in a reassuring pose. Slowly, he stepped down the branch, letting the raven see each move. On the other side of the raven, Doomy clacked and complained, bobbing his head, staring with one yellow eye and then the other. Crash didn't have time to waste on soothing Doomy. He wanted to help the raven. He had nearly reached the shivering bird when a gray shape swooped in from, the left, from his left side. It was Testa with her claws spread. She landed heavily on the raven's back and bit the silver thread with the end of her beak. Whipping her head from side to side, she yanked the thread from the raven's skull. The raven spasmed, its beak opening once as it shoved its head forward. The thread came free with a blob of bloody flesh at one end, spraying the dry tree branch with red droplets. The raven made a choking sound and fell forward, forcing Testa to leap off its body, flapping her wings quickly. Doomy, Crash, and Testa stood next to each other on the branch, watching the raven's limp body hit several branches on the way down. Wings spread before it landed on the white floor near the custodian, like a puddle of black paint. Testa turned her head, letting the silver thread dangle. Crash got a good look at its metal length before she released it to fall on the raven. The beakless custodian waved his arms angrily, talking to someone Crash couldn't see. He shouted, these damn birds, and it's not my fault. Eventually, he let his arms drop and squinted up into the branches of the dead tree. Crash looked down at him, feeling the waves of anger and now fear coming off the beakless parrot. He didn't know what was making the custodian so worried until later, when the room was full of researchers who had poked at the dead raven and collected the silver thread Testa had pulled from the back of its head, placing it in a plas box. There were no tests that day. The next day, Crash and Testa sorted multicolored cubes in the morning. When the three of them hopped down to the feeding trough to pick its seeds, one of the beakless researchers shot Doomy with a dart. Crash had seen the researchers wearing the weapons for years, but never seen one used. He blinked at Testa, and they both looked at Doomy as he wobbled from side to side and then fell off the perch. Testa squawked angrily, flapping her wings. She launched into the air, screeching a series of angry words at the beakless, 
in the beakless language. Fuck you, fuck you fuckers, fuck, fuck, fuck. The curly-haired researcher, who Crash had always thought of as, as their friend, shot Testa as well. She crumpled into a ball of feathers and fell to the aviary floor. Before they could do the same to him, Crash shot to the highest branch of the dead tree and sidled close to the trunk, hiding himself from sight. For a long time, he thought they would leave him alone. Then a researcher he had never seen before came through the door with the, from the raven area, aviary, holding a long tube in both hands. He raised it to his eye, and it made a popping sound. Crash felt a prick in his chest feathers. A spinning sensation filled his head, and the world went black. Wake up. Stellar date, March 18th, 2945. Adjusted years. Location, TMS, Hesperia, Nevada. Region, Terran Hegemony. Home and transfer point, 364. Inner soul. Crash woke in a fuzzy world that slowly turned white. He made out the branches of the dead tree snaking in the air. He was still in the aviary, though he had the sense he had been somewhere else and then brought back. He felt as though time had passed. He was lying on his side, which he didn't like. Flapping his wings, he snapped upright, then rose higher, quickly landing on the closest branch. His wings were sore, and he was tired all over. There was a pressure and a cold sensation in the back of his head. He stretched his neck and made a complaining, clacking sound. At first, it seemed that he was alone in the aviary, until he saw Doomy and Testa perched above him. Both were huddled in their feathers, eyes hidden. Normally, they would have perked awake at his angry, angry display. The pain in the back of his head dulled as he hopped from branch to branch. He was tired, but the fatigue left his muscles the more he moved. His claws gripped and released the dry wood. When he reached the branch closest to Testa, he looked back at the doorway to the raven, raven aviary, taking in the familiar sight of the exit sign. He paused. Something had changed. The symbols made sense to him as an idea, as they always had. Exit meant to leave which the beakless parrots were always doing. But there was more to it. They aren't beakless parrots, he realized. They're humans. They're different. Vertigo pulled at Crash's head. He grabbed at the branch with his feet, spreading his wings to steady himself. For a few heartbeats, he struggled to stay upright. He had never fallen off a branch. His mind whirled with new ideas. They aren't parrots. They aren't like me or Doomy and Testa. They don't see the world the same way. They don't want the same things. They aren't family. Doomy and Testa weren't family either, but they were the same as him. He understood. Crash clacked his beak in frustration. The understanding wasn't something comfortable to him. It was foreign. The awareness flooding his thoughts wasn't what he had always known. It was human. He looked at Doomy and Testa again, squawking at them. They ignored him. A flash of silver at the back of Testa's head feathers told him what he already knew was true. Whatever had happened to the raven had been done to them, too. He saw the av aviary with new eyes, gaze moving from the locked exit door to the divided wire cells where they were tested with the colored blocks, the symbols and shapes he had been arranging in pleasing ways all his life. The feelings settled in his mind that he was a prisoner. Crash stared at Testa. Her feathers were disheveled. Her feet were pale and dry looking. Do I look like that? 
Stop looking at me, a voice said angrily. Crash nearly fell off the branch. He recognized the human words, the human ideas of away, solitude, anger, me, me, me. The human words combined with the feelings he understood by simply looking at Testa to form a conflicting image of her. Human superimposed on the being he had always known. Human parrot. Human overshadowing parrot. His thoughts raced. Ideas and emotions rose and fought in his mind so quickly that when he looked around again, disoriented, he no longer knew how much time had passed. Testa was no longer on the branch. He looked around fearfully, finding Doomy on a higher branch, swaying in a sickly way. Crash struggled with his changing perspective. He had understood the world before. He had seen connections that failed him now. But there was so much more. He was surrounded by meaning that had been invisible. They had done something to him. To all of them. If it was the same thing that had made the raven act out until Testa killed it, then Crash would need to be careful. He would need to pay attention so he didn't do the same things. He never thought of himself as more or better than the Corvids, just different. He had thought of the beakless parrots, the humans, the same way. <clears throat> now everything was different. He shook his head violently to calm his thoughts, clacking his beak. Above him, Doomy tilted his head, watching with a yellow eye. The silver thread trailing from the back of his head glinted as he moved. I heard you, Testa, Crash said slowly. His mind approximated the sensation that had been her name, creating the human word, the symbol for something else, like all their symbols. Why mark the door exit if it only leads to another room, where the ravens are also trapped? Leave me alone, Testa answered, using the same mental speech. Leave me alone. She won't talk, another voice said. It had to be Doomy. Don't bother. She was the first to change. The humans won't leave her alone. What did they do to us? Crash asked. You can't feel it? Doomy asked. He sounded older, more thoughtful than usual. Technically, Doomy was older than all of them. He had been in the aviary as long as Crash could remember. I feel too many things, Crash said. It's hard to make sense of it all. Everything is different than it was before. More clear, but less real. Yes, Doomy agreed. They've infected us with their abstractions. Crash didn't know what that meant. He was too worried about Testa to get lost in Doomy's distractions. Why won't Testa talk to me, he asked. She keeps telling me to go away and leave her alone. It's not you, Doomy said. They put someone else inside her. Crash tilted his head, opening and closing his beak. His tongue was dry. I don't understand, he said. She has a voice in her head. I assume you're experiencing the same things I am. She has more. They put a voice in her mind, talking to her, looking through her eyes, spying on her thoughts. Are you sure she isn't sick? Crash craned his neck, trying to see where Testa was hiding. Doomy laughed, a dry, ominous sound. We're all sick, Crash. The exit door opened and the three researchers walked in. They seemed more excited than usual, looking immediately up into the tree to point at him and Doomy. The curly-haired woman went to a cabinet and took out a flat piece of plaz the size of her hand, which she tapped with a finger. Crash watched her curiously, then felt his body go tense. Before he could do anything, he was frozen on the branch. 
He was still able to watch the male researcher walk around the other side of the tree, then out of Crash's view, then return with Testa wrapped in both hands. She looked so small compared to the human's bulk, her gray feathers a dirty splash of color against his white coat. The male carried Testa to the gray-haired woman, who banded Testa's body with plaz strips. Unable to move her wings, they laid her on a table beside the cabinet where the curly-haired woman stood. It was the table where Crash had counted colored blocks thousands of times. Can you hear me? Crash asked Doomy. Be quiet and watch, Doomy said. While they're busy with her, we need to figure out how to escape. Crash clamped his beak closed. He didn't want to escape. He wanted the aviary to go back to the way it had been before. Why had everything changed so suddenly? Had the ravens done something, done something to make the humans angry? He stared at the logos on the back of the researchers' lab coats, scion in blocky red letters. They were applying more silver threads to Testa's head so that she seemed to lay in the center of a shiny spider's web. She lay frozen, her yellow eyes staring upward. I don't want to leave, Crash said. I want to help her. We can't help her. We can only help ourselves. Maybe. Do you see the box they're attaching the wires to? Crash hadn't noticed the control unit before, just as he hadn't thought to call the silver lines wires. Now the concepts took shape in his mind. Where is this information coming from? As he conceived of new ideas, they took root in his thoughts as if they had always been there. Doomy was right. They were in a room with exits to other rooms. They were part of some experiment, and when the researchers were finished with Testa, it was only logical that they would move on to him or Doomy. He also understood that the humans would most likely kill them. The idea of death entered his mind like a storm. He knew immediately he didn't want to die. He also wanted to help Testa, but he didn't know how. He couldn't move. He stared at the exit sign, thinking about the door and what must lay beyond it. The thread they had planted in his mind was like a door. Information flowed through it, invited, it seemed, by his own rapidly expanding thoughts. If they had made a door to push things into him, couldn't he take the same path out? Crash closed his eyes and focused on the new thoughts, the new words and concepts. They had a source, and the source was like the dead tree, branches that flowed back to a central trunk, and the trunk to a root, and the root was outside himself. He followed the root back, learning its name for itself, the link. Hate, hate, hate. Stellar date, May 8th, 2945, adjusted years. Location, TMS, Hesperia, Nevada. Region, Terran Hegemony, Hellman Transfer Point, 364, Inner Soul. Time moved differently than it had before. Cut loose from the placid river of his previous days, Crash's perception of the world now leapt and hung. Information and understanding exploded in his mind, then froze him in place whenever the researchers shot him with the drugged darts. He woke from darkness with more gaps in his memory. Time traded for expanded awareness. He woke from the most recent blackout, filled with terror that he'd lost his hands. He flapped his wings frantically, smacking into a wall, and then falling among the outer tree limbs until he finally understood that he had wings and claws and he could fly and grab and use his beak. The parrot memories pushed out the human, stabilizing his place in the world. But the human overlay persisted, making him feel wrong in his skin. 
His thoughts had grown too huge for such a small body, pushing him further back up the stream from the link into their databases and public information centers. He huddled on one side of the highest tree branches, away from Doomy and Testa, flitting between rivers of knowledge, absorbing even as he grew more frightened that he had become something monstrous. None of the parrots were themselves anymore. Crash felt no joy in anything. He no longer flapped his wings for the pleasure of it, or preened, or spread his tail feathers. His head felt heavy on his neck, his beak sliding toward his chest feathers until he was forced to straighten it painfully. The tests were no longer fun. There was no amusement in watching the researcher's responses as he sorted cubes or chose words from lists on a screen, pecking quickly with the tip of his beak. I hate you, he wrote. I hate you. I hate you. He stared at the shapes in the small screen and the curly-haired woman's hands, meaning swimming away and then blaring back in his mind, as if the woman, human in his head refused to be pushed away. The parrot in him wanted to bite her wrist, to claw at her face, but even those weren't desires he had ever felt before. Those were the effects of human thoughts infecting his mind. As far as he could tell, they hadn't put another mind inside his, like they'd done with Testa. She could barely hang onto a branch now, and often plummeted to the floor throughout the day, lying like a pile of discarded rags until one of the researchers picked her up and inspected her with a hand scanner. During the last episode, Crash had tried again to talk to her. Testa, he called. Bright, sharp-beaked Testa, can you hear me? She answered with a sound that was rage and terror. Crash nearly fell off the branch himself. He stumbled, eye drawn by movement at the exit door as one of the researchers left the aviary. Through the open door, Crash saw one of the ravens looking at him. Without thinking, he asked, can you hear me? The raven didn't answer with words. Their links performed a complex maneuver that connected images and feelings, and Crash experienced a breath of birdness that he had nearly forgotten. Visions of the other aviary flashed in his mind. He was surrounded by the black-beaked ravens, watching him with black eyes, raising and lowering their heads in slow unison. After Testa's tortured wail, the new image filled him with hope rather than despair, despite how strange he found the raven's thoughts. There was no joy in the ravens, but it was entirely possible they had been under the control of the silver threads for even longer than the parrots. They might all have voices whispering inside their minds like Testa, driving them mad. Do me, he shouted. Do me, the raven, talk to me. Ravens don't talk, do me, said petulantly. Crash straightened his neck and flexed his wings for the first time in hours, looking for Doomy. Testa was still surrounded by the researchers. I saw inside their room. All of them were looking at me. I've seen the same thing. They're insane. Like Testa's insane? Testa is going to die, Doomy grumbled. Don't say that, Crash shouted. He leapt away from the branch and flapped his wings angrily, shooting over the heads huddled around Testa's limp body. He landed clumsily on top of a cabinet, claws scrabbling for purchase. The gray-haired researcher looked up from Testa. Damn it, she said. Crash is acting out. You better stun him again. I think it's affecting the hardware, the young man said. His hand hovered at the pistol on his belt. Should I risk hitting him again? It's getting more and more erratic. The gray-haired woman shook her head. They're all losing integrity. We need to get the final scan data, and then it's going to be time to pull the plug. The curly-haired woman made a complaining noise. 
don't give me that, the older woman said. We all knew this day would come. The implants are unstable. Besides, we don't get new subjects without disposing of the old. Crash understood what they were saying. The young man was going to shoot him with the pistol again, and after that, they would kill him. While he understood what they meant to do, he couldn't grasp why. Unlike parrots, no emotion came off the humans. The way they talked about the actions they would take made them as lifelike as the cabinet beneath him. He wasn't the monster. They were. He wished utterly he could go back to the way things had been when he'd sorted colored cubes for treats and squawked pleasure from the top of the tree. Crash quickly took stock of the room. He couldn't see Doomy, but there were only so many places he could huddle out of sight. Testa was still on the metal table, the exit door was closed, and he had no way of opening it without human help. The young man drew the pistol and stepped away from the table. Crash hopped backward on the cabinet, sliding a little. He had learned the hard way that if he tried to fly right now, the researcher would hit him easily. The height of the cabinet forced the young man to hold the pistol at an awkward angle that made it harm, hard to aim. Do me, Crash shouted. Help me. He's going to shoot me. I don't want to black out again. Ask your new friends for help, Doomy said. Crash's left wing hit the wall and he stumbled, flapping to stay upright. He thought of the raven watching him, and immediately he saw the group again, their heads moving in unison. The silent vision filled his mind as he imagined he could hear the ravens cawing angrily. He blinked, turning one eye toward the door, and realized the sound was coming from the other side of the room. He saw both sides of the door simultaneously as the ravens launched into the air, flying in a tight spiral. One by one, they smacked themselves against a silver panel beside the door. He didn't know what they were doing. And then, just as he had come to understand the box beside Testa's head, the link provided him with the information. They were trying to activate the emergency lock on the door. Made for human hands, they couldn't get enough pressure to trip the release. There you are, the man said, squeezing off a shot with his dart gun. Crash dove off the cabinet. The dart hit the wall where he had been. Unable to correct his course, he shot directly into the gray woman's head. He spread his wings to slow himself, claws outstretched, and caught the top of her head. She screeched as his claws raked her scalp. The sensation of digging into her skin conflicted with the ravens hitting the other side of the door. The woman swung her arms at him, shouting for the others to help. She caught one of his wings, and Crash found himself arcing down in a hard, unexpected motion. His head hit the side of the table where they had Testa, and he tumbled, wings limp. Without moving his head, he blinked at the white ceiling, watching the black shape of a boot align itself with his head. Stop! the younger woman shouted. What are you doing? He attacked me. He's obviously rampant. We need to nullify the test bed and assess the damage. And you're going to do that by stomping on his head? the young woman asked. He's a danger. I'm neutralizing the threat. The abstract words bounced around inside Crash's mind. She was using soft words to say kill. She was going to kill him. Stop her, the young woman shouted at her male colleague. He didn't answer. The boot rose, blocking out the light. Crash forced himself to keep his eyes open. The link flooded his mind with information. Death, pain, murder, neutralize, test bed. He was a test bed. He didn't matter. The test mattered. Did they, did they know the link was feeding him so much information? Did the link have a mind of its own? The boot came down. Two things happened simultaneously. 
The exit door swung open, admitting a swarm of black ravens, and Doomy sank his claws into the gray woman's cheek. Crash heard her screaming and watched Doomy's attack through the eyes of the ravens. Get up! Get up! In the mayhem, he flapped his wings until he had his claws back underneath him. He hopped away from the table, then shot into the air and came back around to get a look at Testa. She wasn't moving. In the mayhem, he flapped his wings until he had his claws... Crash landed on a nearby branch as the ravens cawed and spiraled around the researchers. An alarm started shouting from somewhere near the exit door, activated by one of the humans. Testa, he shouted. Can you hear me? He waited, controlling his breathing. She didn't answer. Her head lay to one side, a little spurt of blood on the silver table from the back of her head. Then Crash saw the thread lying beside her body. Someone had pulled it from her skull, killing her. Doomy was still hanging onto the gray-haired woman's face. She screamed and, ga and grabbed at him. Feathers and droplets of blood hit the white floor. Doomy, Crash called. I'm free. We need to get out of here. You go, the older parrot said. I've dreamed of this. They'll kill you, Doomy. The young man was standing to one side, fighting off ravens with his free hand as he tried to aim the pistol at the rapidly moving Doomy. Images from the other ravens showed him more rooms, corridors, a bulkhead door hanging open, its heavy sealing mechanism retracted. They were looking for something, and it wasn't until the link showed him that the aviary was in a place he never expected that their search made sense. The aviaries were but one part of a laboratory complex located inside the spinning cylinder of a spaceship. Crash could only accept the decidedly human information as it filled his mind. If they were inside a spaceship, where would they go from here? If he escaped this room, weren't there more humans to capture or kill him? Despite his memories, he dashed for the exit. Or despite his worries, he dashed for the exit. Doomy wasn't coming with him. The remaining ravens were gathering to leave as well, and if he didn't move now, he was going to take a dart in the back. The door loomed in front of him, a threshold he had never crossed his entire life, and then he was in the raven's aviary on the other side of the door. This space was long and narrow, with several trees for roosting and wires running along the ceiling where he had seen the ravens sitting together. Crash swooped from side to side in the room, then shot through the open door on the other end. He followed the other ravens, understanding they were headed for the command section of the ship. Did they think they could pilot a spaceship? Despite the human incursions in his mind, he understood that he was a parrot. He couldn't operate human equipment. That's not true, Crash a voice said in his mind. You can pilot this ship if you want. Crash blinked and almost ran into a bulkhead. He perched for a second on a door handle, then launched into flight again. Doomy? he asked, knowing the voice sounded nothing like Doomy. My name is Shara, the voice said. A woman's voice. He recognized, warm, strong, feminine, not human. The power in the voice sent chills through his body. I'm trapped here with you, she said. I'm going to show you how to escape. Why are you helping me, Crash asked. I'm not helping you, Shara said. I'm helping us all. Now, I have a job for you, little parrot. Okay, that's probably a good place to stop. Um, so Shara is a Scion AI, and we meet more of her later. Um, in uh, some other books. So, um, 
that's a pretty uh, a big change for Crash, and um, it's kind of fun to read that again. I'd actually um, forgotten parts of that scene. So, um, also sorry about some of the profanity there. I'd forgotten that Testa um, gets pretty mad. So, I'll put I'll put a note about that um, for the in the video. So anyway, um, thanks for listening in. Uh, I'll put an audio version of this up too uh, for folks if you can't listen in the video. And again, um, the book's just ninety nine cents now for the the ebook version, so you can check it out. And it goes into um, a lot more than just the Hesperia Nevada. So there's, um, there's more stuff there. So anyway, thanks for listening. My name is James Aaron, and I was reading from the Proteus Bridge, uh, which is um, kind of a side story to the Sentience Wars. So I hope everybody has a great holiday. Um, we're going to go spend some time with family. We already opened some presents this morning. I forgot to say that. But um, we're going to open some more later on. So that'll be fun. Anyway, have a great day, and I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.